Thanks for listening to our Faith Church podcast. Let's listen to today's message. Hallelujah. It's always a humbling experience to stand before you as a congregation. It's uh, never something I could ever just walk into without a little bit of fear and trembling. Uh, but um, it's an opportunity that I, I really uh, appreciate to serve uh, in this house. I'm very, very grateful. You know, um, <clears throat> throughout life, you know, my wife and I will be married 48 years this year. We're trying to catch the Serianos. I don't know if we're going to ever do that. Yeah. We're going 48 years. And, and over time, you know, we, you know, there are seasons that God, you know, deals, works in your life. And it's not the same season throughout your life. It's just not. I'm learning that. It's just not. And I remember being much younger and uh, even in my 20s when we started ministering, I was, I was more like an evangelist, you know, just uh, ripping and roaring. You know, <laughs> it was just a kind of exciting time, you know, and uh, living in Nigeria and going to all these different churches, these powerful churches, preaching the same message over and over again. But it always come out different, you know, and it was the power and anointing of God. But over time and over even in this season of my life, the Lord says that season is over. Uh, that season is over. Uh, you're, you're not, I'm not sending you out with the same message uh, to, you know, to do this and do that. There's something new that I'm speaking. And so I'm moving into a, a time of, of less being an evangelist, evangelist and being more of a teacher. Now, you know, that takes more work. <laughs> you that are teachers. It just takes more work. And uh, even, uh, you know, preparing messages, you know, what I used to be able to do in a couple of hours or three or four hours, you know, and, and what God is uh, just bringing to my attention as I'm preparing to, to minister are teachings, word upon word, precept upon precept, a little here and a little there. Boy, that takes work and effort. And in the process of doing all that, God is also doing something in you. God's something, doing something new in you. You're, you know, it's not just the, the Word of God coming in, but it's, a, it's the Spirit of God working that Word into your system. So you can, you can just really live it. You can, it's questioning and challenging my own life. Are you living this? Are, are you actually, are, do, you, do you measure up to what I'm showing you? Then you just put the Bible down and you walk away. You know, oh, yeah. Then you come back, you know. God is doing a new thing. And I believe that the word of the Lord to the churches in Revelation, uh, to all seven churches at the very end, the very end word that he speaks is, is very relevant today, and that's for all of us. Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit of God, we're living, hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. We are living in very unusual times. I want you to know that. Unusual time. Prophecy is being fulfilled. There's a greater and a new, greater revelation of God's plans and purposes that's just really coming to the earth. And he wants us to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. So I want us to start this morning by reading from Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And I'm going to read a, a, a fairly lengthy 
portion of this chapter, but please uh, bear with me. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men, in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please, please, test your servants for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink and then let our appearance be examined before you. And the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, as you see fit, so do with your servants. So he consented with them in this manner and tested them 10 days. Let me pray. Father, I, we thank you for your presence here with us. We are so blessed to be able to enter your presence with praise and worship. And we welcome your ongoing work in our lives to open up to us the word of the Lord, to use just a clay pot to reveal your great plans and purposes. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the setting of this story about the three Hebrew men, boys they call them, the, Hebrews, the setting of this story is in the ancient and historic city of Babylon. Babylon, as you know, has both historical significance 
and theological significance. That's why Babylon, you, you hear about Babylon often in the Bible. Because it's not only historic, but it is also theologic, theological in its significance. Historically, Babylon was once the most powerful and prosperous nation in the world. Because of its great fame and great fortune, Babylon was known as the capital city of the world. It was the Paris of Europe. It was the New York City of North America. It was all the, what the great cities of our time would look to and, and expect, you would expect from them. But this was Babylon. This was the great capital city of the world. And most noteworthy, it is the nation that God chose to bring correction and judgment upon Israel for its idolatry and its rebellion. Of all the countries, why would God choose such a city, such a nation as Babylon? But theologically, we've just talked about the history, the historical significance of the city, but let's talk about the theological significance. Theologically, Babylon is always associated with paganism. A religious system full of idolatry, full of witchcraft. And with that comes pride and immorality and greed. You know, when the Bible looks to highlighting what paganism looks like, it often refers to Babylon. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. You want to know what paganism looks like? He refers to Babylon. And so the title of the message today is Overcoming in a Pagan Society. Overcoming in a Pagan Society. Because this is where, where the three Hebrew boys were thrusted into. They were thrusted into not just a, a, a huge commercial, political, and military power base, but it was, it was very steeped into paganism. And this is where the three Hebrew boys were sent. And this is where that God used them in a marvelous and an amazing way. But let's begin looking more, more in, in deeply into the meaning of Babylon. Because like I said, not only do we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. But in Revelations chapter 17, if you would turn there with me. Seventeen verse one. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, "Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of their of her fornication." So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup, full of abominations and the filthiness of fornication. 
And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, Revelation 17 paints this very graphic picture describing the very character and the very nature of not historic Babylon, but spiritually speaking Babylon. Babylon is more than just the cultural and political capital center of the world. It has always been and it shall always represent the center the center of, of a false religious system that has great power and it has great influence over leaders and over nations and over people. Babylon is portrayed here in this Revelation chapter 17 it, as an adulterous woman. I, I don't know if Hollywood could even come close to, to, to describing this. An adulterous woman who has the power of seduction and beguilement to allure governments, to allure government leaders of all nations and multitudes of people into false beliefs and false gods. And this woman, this same one, with all of her filthiness and all of the filthiness of her fornications, she goes about encouraging this flood of iniquity and immorality which ensues from her wherever she goes. We're talking about paganism, which Babylon uh, totally characterizes. Babylon. She all, it's outwardly Babylon, and we're still talking from Revelation 17. Outwardly, Babylon appears with all the beauty, wealth, and charm that one would ascribe to as being very successful and, and prosperous. But inwardly, what Babylon really represents is corruption and destruction. And thus, Babylon, the center of paganism, is called the mother of harlots. And some translations, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. All of the ma major religions of the world, apart from Christianity, all of the major religions of the world have their roots, have their source in paganism. And that very thing that defines Babylon, all of them, Babylon is the mother of prostitutes, of deceivers, of beguilers, of seducers. But furthermore, reading from verse 6 of chapter 17, it says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. 
The last thing that we see from Revelation 17 is that Babylon represents the ultimate, the ultimate enemy of God and persecutor of God's people. Historically, the greatest persecution of those who are truly the followers of God are not those who are politicians, not even military men, but the greatest people, the greatest opposition to true faith in God has always come from religious folk. Has always come from religious folk. People who say they have religion, people who say they believe in God. The greatest, it is those kinds of people that crucial called for crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were the ones that tried to stop the advancement of the church in the book of Acts. And throughout all the world right now, the people who are being persecuted the most are people who are believers by other established religions and other established groups. Babylon, paganism represents the ultimate enemy of God. And in the end times, in the end times, which I believe we are, we are moving fully into, the attacks and the persecution of the church will not come from political belief systems or even a military power, but from a religious belief system that will not tolerate opposition and will ruthlessly seek to kill and destroy all who oppress, come against or oppose her. It's coming. It's coming. So before we go any further, and since we're talking about how overcoming in a pagan society, it's, it, it does us well to understand what paganism is all about. We've talked a little bit about paganism through Babylon and all the significance of that. But let me go further. Paganism has always existed as far back as the building of the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. The tower was called Babel, Babylon, years before the city was built. There was this root there. The Tower of Babel was an effort by the descendants this was an effort, the Tower of Babel, to build this, was an effort by the very descendants of those who survived the great flood. These were the children of Noah that survived the flood. They knew the character and the nature of God. They knew it. But in spite of, in spite of their understanding that God's judgment will swiftly fall upon the unrighteous, they said, we don't care. And they shook their fist at God and they chose to live without his leadership and without his lordship over them. They sought to build this tower that represented a new belief system without God. Setting their rulers and leaders up as gods. Setting them up to be gods, to be worshipped. And they assumed power. They assumed power. To do, we can do whatever we want to do. Such arrogance. Such pride. Such man-centered ambition. All of that 
represents paganism. All of that is what Babylon was all about. Do you know that the city of Babylon was built in the same place where the Tower of Babel was being constructed? And even though God came down and he, he, he gave them all different languages and, and he, he just stopped the project of building the tower and the people just scattered all over the world, the root of rebellion against the knowledge of God and serving God apart from God, that seed was planted. And in that same area, that same area of the world is the birthing place of many major religions. That is the same area of the world. Because that seed was planted there. So paganism is a belief system that seeks to replace God, the God of the Bible, as the source and center of all things. In Christianity, we believe there's only one God. Paganism, they have replaced the true and living God with multiple gods who are not even gods. They have all kinds of gods. The God of the water, the God of the trees, the God of the sun, depending on where you go. And yet, even though these gods can never talk to them, even though these gods will never heal or bless them, they choose to serve a God who cannot talk. Let me give you some more forms and expression of paganism that we see in today's world. Another forms and expressions of paganism. One is animism. Animism. That's a belief that everything in the universe is filled with a life force or spiritual energy. There's a life force or spiritual energy throughout the world. Now, I'm going to be a spoiler right now when I say this. But there's a certain popular movie series that built its audience on pagan beliefs. The force is with you. Luke used the force. It's in the air. It's what you drink. It's on the ground. Use the force, Luke. What? <laughs> what? Where did that come from? Where is that in the Bible? When did God say that? Now, we all laugh. You can tell I've watched all the series. I've got the accent down. But that's how pagan, paganism works. It, there's a seductive element in there that kind of, kind of comes in and kind of like a, on the wind of the desire to be entertained. And it provides the, the content for what you want to absorb into your life. And, and it makes, you know, people who are not Christians, people who do not have a knowledge of the Word of God, will kind of swallow, drink the Kool-Aid and accept the idea that maybe there is an imperceptible energy force in the world. And somehow I can tap into that and be made complete in what I'm supposed to be doing in life. 
There is nature worship. Pagans believe that nature is sacred and that the natural cycles of birth, of growth, and death observed in the world around us carry profound spiritual meanings. So you can't kill a tree or you can't kill a bird or you can't do this and that because there is spiritual significance in those things. Don't touch it. It could be your father, your mother reincarnated, your grandfather reincarnated. Don't touch that. Don't you touch that. There is spiritual and significant meaning in that cow. And the popes all around them are starving to death. Starving to death. Don't touch that. You see. We're talking about these, these expressions of paganism in the world today. This nature worship. And then there's the veneration and worship of the devil. In Asia, there's a, a certain country where every good male, the oldest in the family, is required to build an altar in their house where they worship their ancestors who have departed. You, you, you can't be successful in, in, in that culture unless you comply with the requirements of ancestor worship, worshiping the dead. And then there's witchcraft, another form of element, which we here in this area are, know, are known for. We're known for witchcraft. We're known for spiritism, the Fox Sisters and all those kind of stuff. We're known for that. But it is, it is, it is these elements of paganism that represents the Babylon that we are all being confronted more on every day on an increasing level. In summary, paganism is outright rebellion and defiance of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In the pagan mind, God is whoever or whatever mankind chooses him to be. But there's never reverence for or honor given to the only true and living God. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. I like the amplified version of that. It says, where there is no vision, where there's no revelation of God and His Word, the people are unrestrained. In other words, the only thing that restrains evil in the earth is an understanding and knowledge of God. And when paganism comes in, and intentionally and purposefully and systematically removes God from the, public, from the public eye and the public life, it opens the door for, for unbelievable immorality. It just opens the door. Without a vision, the people live unrestrained. You see, paganism provides religious and spiritual justification and acceptance of carnal and earthly desires and behavior, which the Bible clearly denounces as sin and an abomination, which is a despicable thing. In other words, if you want to just live any kind of way, just find the local pagan group, and you'll find what you need to give you justification to live out your carnal desires. That's the nature of paganism. The pagan, pagan influence is evident in every major sector of our society. It's at hand. The signs are all around us. In our schools, children are being taught things that we would have never considered 20 years ago. We would never consider stuff. 
But now it's just open season in our children. Things are being taught right now that are stealing their innocence. They're, they're just absolutely stealing their innocence. The media, arts and entertainment. There are things that just pop up on your television. I can't turn it fast enough. Because next thing you know, I'm looking at something that is despicable. But it happens more frequently, more regularly. It's almost like, you know, this is what we're all, we are now. We're moving into from a post, we're moving from a post-Christian society into a pagan society. For years we've been saying we're in a post-Christian society. But now it's clear we're moving away from that. Where there's no trace of our biblical Christian heritage. So that all that's left now is a belief system that does not include God. And you can do whatever you want to do. Psalms 11 verse 3 asks a question. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, before I go further, I want to be clear this morning that the message today is not hate speech. It's not hate speech. Followers of Christ must emulate Jesus' behavior when he walked in the earth. And Jesus loved everyone. And the Bible says he went about doing good to everyone. And so should Christians. And so should Christians. The Bible says that they will know you are Christians by your, by your love. On the other hand, Jesus never accepted what, what evil, Jesus never accepted what was evil as being good. And he never accepted what was good as being evil. And as followers, Christ followers, neither can we. The word of God declares that there are people who will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They reject, they don't believe in the power of the cross, which, which has rendered the ultimate judgment and condemnation upon sin in the flesh. If you don't believe that it's, if you don't believe that if sin is evil and sin is wrong, then look at the cross and see what happened to Jesus who took our sins. They don't believe in the power of the blood which washes and cleanses us from all of our sins. What can wash away my sin, the song says? Nothing. Nothing, no other... No mystic, no, 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 another ism. Nothing can wash away my sin but the blood of Jesus Christ. They don't believe in the power of the resurrection, which makes us a new creation in Christ. He just doesn't make us a better people. He makes us new. If any man or woman be in Christ, they are new creations. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, it goes back to our question. 
our primary message today is how to overcome in a pagan society. And I want to look at six factors in the story of the three Hebrews. Six factors in the story of three Hebrews which enabled them to overcome paganism in Babylon. And I, I want you to know that I, I feel we need to know this. And some of you are already identifying with, with, with some of this because where you work and where you live, there are people with beliefs and lifestyles that you say, how in the world? And you work with them. They're your neighbors. You, you, you just can't just go into some bunker under the ground and come out only when you get groceries. There, there has to be something in you that just doesn't say, I'm going to survive this. There has to be something in you that says, I'm going to strive. I'm going to thrive in this. I'm going to let my light so shine before men that they may see my good works and give glory to God who is my Father. You know, one of the things that Jesus prayed in John 17, in John 17, he says, in his priestly prayer, he says, I'm not praying that, he said, I'm not praying that, Lord, you take them out of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. He said, he's talking to his father in John 17. He says, but, but that they would be protected from the evil one. And then furthermore, Jesus declares in his prayer, I am sending them into the world. I am sending them into the world. The Lord was not calling the Hebrew boys to escape Babylon, but to engage Babylon. And I want to tell you that in these, these coming times that will be trying and troublesome indeed, we're not to try to escape it. We are to engage it. I, the Lord says, I am sending them into the world. And wherever God sends us, it's always to be a witness. It's always to give testimony to him. Even if you can't speak it, you can live it in such a way that your life my life is a living epistle. A living epistle. What are the six factors that we see in the three Hebrew boys? Number one, they didn't give in to bitterness and taking offense. They did not give in to bitterness and taking offense. You see, these three Hebrew boys were taken into captivity and things were taken from them that they could never get back. They were uprooted from their families and friends. And with that, there were broken hopes and dreams about their future in Israel. They were separated from their home. They were separated from their culture. They were separated from all the significance and the joy of being at home. They were forced to take on new names. Their parents didn't give them the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were names that represented the pagan culture and the pagan beliefs that became their adopted home. And they experienced great humiliation and shame as a conquered people. And though the word of God does not explicitly tell us but those guys endured things that were very humiliating but through all of this 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never gave in. They never gave in to utter despair. They never gave in to defeat. And I want you to know that things are shifting and things are changing and and people are coming in and people are going out and decisions are being made and, and, and you just feel that, man, my, my world is turning upside down and life is not going to be what it used to be. And people are not going to look at you with rosy eyes, but because you're a Christian, they will see you and they will think of you as some hindrance to progress and a thorn in the side. But you've got to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> you can't just fold in and surrender and, and, and just give up. Someone said that the hard things of life that you experience in life, the hard things that you experience in life will make you better if you don't allow them to make you better. When you've come through major challenges in your life, always remember that your past and your present do not dictate your future. Just remember that. No matter what you've gone through in your past, no matter what you're going through in your present, remember that will not dictate my future. And it does not define who I am. We must come to a place, people of God. We must come to a place where our joy and our peace is not dependent on the circumstances of life. My joy. You, you can do whatever you want to do, but you can't take my joy. You can make all kinds of decisions, but you can't take my peace. Oh. We're coming to that place. I love the song that we used to sing years ago. I think the Lord birthed it at a right time. That song goes, God is the joy in the strength of my life. He removes all pain, misery, and strife. He promised to keep me, never to leave me. He'll never ever come short of his word. God is. God is. The second factor. The second factor can be seen in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. When Daniel spoke up and said, you know, we can't eat that food that you want us to eat. And we can't drink that drink that you want us to drink. And it wasn't because they were just trying to be a kind of a, a rebellious. But there was, there was this discipline in their life that was the source of their faith in God. That this discipline required that they would not eat anything that was ceremonially unclean. You see, 
They weren't just trying to be religious or rebellious, but there was something associated with what they ate and what they drank that represented their faith in God. And Daniel says, look, we, we can do all this stuff, but please give us 10 days. We want to eat our vegetables and let us drink our water. I want to talk about spiritual disciplines and the importance of keeping Never give up your spiritual disciplines. One of the things that happens when, pagan, when, when, when paganism comes in, it, it begins to seduce you to say, you know, you can really be in touch with God. All, you don't have to read the Bible as much as you do. You don't have to pray as much as you do. God hears and he understands before you even pray. So why do all the praying? Why do all the praying? And all of a sudden, you're, you're seduced to alter your lifestyle and compromise those practices that brought you to where you are today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we, don't, we won't do that. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about the need to build up the inner man. Ephesians 3.16. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. Ephesians 3.16. God has unlimited resources that will only be accessible through spiritual discipline. You just cannot be able to withstand the tide of iniquity that paganism brings Unless you are spiritually fit. You just won't be able to do it. You're not going to stand. You're just not going to make it. You've got to, just like Paul says, you know, you run a race, you need to be fit. If you're going to be godly, you've got to live a godly life. And you've got to do things that will build up godliness in you. Paul says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Spiritual disciplines are strict training in righteousness and godliness. 1 Timothy 4.8, it says, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. In my 20s, when I, when I was in the military, when I first came into the military... The first thing they trained us in, in camp, in training camp, I could not believe it, was how to make up your bed. How to make up your bed. They trained you how to do that. That the first thing you do when you get out of bed is make the bed up. And, and it's not just throwing a sheet over and throwing the cover over and throwing the pillow down just like that and you walk away. Like you do when you were a kid. No, you, you, you had to fold it just right. You had to fold the corners in and everything else. The sheet had to be straight. They, were, they had to drop a coin and that penny must bounce because the sheet was so taunt. Because they had inspection that morning before you left. And you wouldn't leave unless you were, if you, lost the, you, if you failed the inspection, you were, you were scrubbing floors and, and scrubbing toilets. Why? Why? Well, the military understood this. That if you are dutiful and faithful in the little things as you get up out of bed, you will be dutiful and faithful in the bigger things as you go through the day. 
You just can't bounce out of bed and, and, and not talk to the Father. And you've got a whole day of work to do and people to encounter. And you just say, well, I'll just pray later. You can't afford to do that. You won't have what it takes to deal with Babylon. Spiritual disciplines. Fasting. Praying. Meditating and reading your word. Even giving. Because one of the characteristics of, of Babylon and paganism is that there is unprecedented greed and love of money. And so you need a discipline of giving so that you are not caught up in Babylon's philosophy. Culture of greed, Babylon's culture of greed and avarice. The third factor, the third factor, the factor number one is don't give into bitterness and taking offense. Number two is never give up your spiritual disciplines. Number three is this a threefold cord can never be broken. A threefold cord can never be broken. What am I talking about? The three Hebrew, Hebrews were always together. Whenever you saw them in Scripture, it was always Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was always Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were always together. They learned together. They suffered together. They grew in their faith together. And they were tested together. All day long, they were around people who were can you imagine living and working with people who are magicians and sorcerers and astrologers? Can you imagine the work environment when people are being influenced by demons and every kind of unclean spirit? Can you imagine what kind of lifestyles they had to endure, what they did and what these people did for entertainment and relaxation? You see, the Hebrews had nothing in common with the people they were sent to, be live, to live among. They needed each other. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 12 says this. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. <laughs> I like that. Ecclesiastes, that's Ecclesiastes 4.12. To overcome in a pagan society, you're going to need brothers and sisters standing with you. You're going to need to have yoke fellows, which is more than just a friendship. You're going to have to have people whose lives are bound to your life because of a common vision and a common mission. And they have the same spirit of faith to overcome. You need more than just friends. You need yoke fellows. The factor number four. Things turn in Daniel chapter three. We were Daniel one, but Daniel chapter three. And let me, you know the story very well. King Nebuchadnezzar one day decided he was going to build this huge statue of himself. And he decided, and with all of his counselors and magicians and, and mystics and all of that, he decided that they were to worship that huge idol. That's what he decided. And he called this huge assembly of all the people and all the, all the people from his, his court, 
And they were all out there. And he said, when you hear the sound of the flute and the yilir and all those other instruments, then everybody has to bow down. In other words, give worship to this image of Nebuchadnezzar. At that moment, at that moment, they, there was a crisis moment. And we are going to enter into times where we will have more than a few crisis moments. And the thing that you have to remember about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, never compromise your faith in the Lord. And they said this, these three, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I'm talking from Daniel 3, verse 16. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You see, this is the lesson that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taught us. Is that as Christians... We will never be able to bring the world to Christ by becoming like it. We'll never be able to do it. If we become like them and do what they do, we'll never be able to be a witness for Christ. And the problem that many Christians have today is that they want so bad to be accepted and liked by everybody. But at what cost? But at what cost are you willing to pursue the world's friendship? Do you know that Bible says in James 4, 4, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? That's what it says. Don't you know that? And I'm not saying that we walk around in some religious, pious state with our nose up in the air. I'm saying people just won't like you because of who you represent. And you cannot create common ground by compromising your faith. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Amen. Number five. So Nebuchadnezzar got really angry. He commanded the soldiers to turn the fire up even hotter. He said, throw those guys in just like they are. Just throw them in. And he, they threw them in the fire. The men who threw them in, the, the heat was so hot, the fire was so hot, the fire consumed them. But they went in. You know, God has never said that we would not experience some affliction or testing. But there's a promise. There's a promise in Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. It says this, but now, O Jacob, Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. But now, O Jacob, listen to, the, listen to the Lord who created you. Listen. Listen, church. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk to the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. You will not be burned up. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The final factor is this, and the piano player can come up, please. And the final factor is expect to experience God's glory. You know, we sang that this morning. We expect to see His glory. 
I, I fully believe when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego chose to go through that fire, they expected God to do something. And God did. And God did. Nebuchadnezzar said, did we throw three men into the fire? Yes, yes, your highness. Why do I see four? Why do I see four? And then he makes a decree after he brings them out. Therefore, I make this, this, this decree of any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They will be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be turned into heaps of trouble. There is no other God who can rescue like this God. I am saying to you right now, as we overcome, as we overcome in paganism, I want you to know that God is setting us up. God is setting us up to experience revival. To experience a manifestation of his glory. And the last verse of scripture I want to share with you is out of Isaiah chapter 60. Because some of you right now are living in Babylon. You're working in Babylon. Paganism is all around you. It's already, it's already at your house. Isaiah 60, chapter, chapter 60, verse 1 says, Arise. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise. Get up. Get up. Shine. For your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Get up. My glory is coming upon you. Get up. My glory is here. And then in verse 2 it says, For behold, this is, this, is, this is where we're at. Behold, the darkness, it shall cover the earth. And even, and deep darkness, the people. It shall happen. It is happening. It will continue to happen. But the Lord will arise over you. It will arise over you. And His glory will be seen upon you. Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Come out. We're not messing with you anymore. Your God is the true God. Your God. Your God. We're not messing with you anymore. This is God setting us up for the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. And maybe some of you right now, as we bow our heads right now, right now, you are, you, you can say, I identify with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I am in Babylon. I am around corruption, moral and spiritual corruption. And the word is to you today. But I want to pray with you. I want to believe, God, that this will be your greatest hour and not your saddest hour. Your greatest hour. And if that's you, just stand up. 
We're going to pray right now. We're going to pray that your present and your past will not be your future. Just stand up. If you're going through a situation or circumstance that you need, you just, you just need God. I, I need you to break in to my life. I need you to break in here, Lord. I need a breakthrough. Praise God. And you that are online right now, the word of the Lord has no boundaries or limits. The word of the Lord is alive, powerful, yes, it is. quick and powerful. And it's come to you this morning. Whatever your situation and circumstance, just join us, stand up right now. And we're praying for you as well. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. We give you glory. We give you praise. Hallelujah. For God is. God is. He is the one that completes me. He is the one that says that I am more than a conqueror. I shall not be moved. I pray right now that you would just kind of infuse into your, your sons and your daughters this morning. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the king and said, we will not bow. Infuse into your people this morning power and faith and courage for our God. Our God is the consuming fire. In the name of Jesus. And we give ourselves to Him. We put our lives, our confidence is in Him. We pray for peace and joy to come upon your servants right now. In Jesus' name. Let your peace, let your joy, which is their strength, let the peace that surpasses all understanding come now upon them. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, we'll give you the praise. And we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to our Faith Church podcast. We are so glad you chose to listen to this message. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to receive notifications when we release new content. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Faith Church Rock to find out more information about what is currently happening at Faith Church.